Because we are new and have the Holy Spirit, we can be spiritual. And this morning, I want everyone to be able to walk away from this place saying, I am spiritual. It's not the things that we do that make us spiritual that we're going to talk about today. It's not those things that make us spiritual. It's what Jesus did. We can choose forgiveness over bitterness. We can choose to be truthful. We can choose to be kind. Challenges are inevitable. Challenges are inevitable. They're going to happen. So our reactions need to be spiritual. Morning. Take out your Bibles, your mobile devices this morning. Turn to the book of? You got it. Ephesians chapter 5. It's on page 473 if you might be using one of the Bibles you picked up at the door when you came in. We've just got a couple of chapters left in our study through the book of Ephesians. We've called this, Who Do You Think You Are? So as you're finding your place there this morning, I do want to encourage you guys. Tonight is our annual State of the Church report. Uh, we're going to have it right here at Prairie View High School at 6 o'clock tonight. Um, when you come in, if you would, just kind of sit down here in this middle section um, for those that are, that are here. Um, this is more than just a financial report and budget report. Uh, we got some things that you're going to want to hear from firsthand if you're a member or a regular tender of our church. Uh, we're going to give a little bit of update on where we're at on pursuing the land next door. So if you can make it tonight, it won't be very long, probably 20 to 30 minutes will be the meeting, probably about 30 minutes. And uh, hope you can come out tonight uh, for that meeting um, this evening. We'll look forward to that. Uh, many of you that have been here for Orchard Church for a while, you know a little bit about uh, my story uh, that I was adopted when I was just a baby. I was two weeks old when I was adopted into my family. And uh, I like to tell people I have been adopted twice. I was adopted into my earthly family. And then when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was adopted spiritually into his family. So I'm doubly adopted, which is kind of cool. And uh, even though I was adopted, you know, my, my mom and dad were mom and dad to me. And I wanted to be like my daddy. How many of your parents have kids that want to be like your daddy? You know, you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about, especially little boys. And, and I wanted to be like, like my daddy. My daddy loved to uh, fish, and I love to fish to this day. I love the outdoors. Uh, my dad was in the military. Uh, he was a retired Marine Corps gunny sergeant. Got any Marines here today? Can I hear from you? Marines? That was begging for a hoo or whatever they do, however they, there you go, thank you. And uh, I wanted to go into the Marines, they didn't have my MOS, so I ended up going into the Army, but I, I was in the military for six years. My dad loved football, um, I love football to this day. And uh, something that uh, you guys, this may mean nothing to you guys, so bear with me for a moment, because it meant a lot to me uh, as a boy growing up wanting to be like my daddy. Uh, my daddy had this habit, after dinner, every night, he would get a toothpick, and he would put it in his mouth and he would chew on it and he would have that toothpick in his mouth all evening long I mean till he went to bed and so as a little boy I remember I would always run up and I'd give him a hug and I'd give him a kiss good night and he'd have this toothpick sticking out of his mouth and I'm going to give him a kiss and so instead of just taking it out he had this way where he would flip the toothpick into his mouth and it would disappear and he would kiss me good night and that used to always just freak me out as a kid but I wanted to be able to do that now, don't tell your children about this because it's kind of dangerous. But I remember as a little kid, a little boy, I would get a toothpick and I would put it in my mouth and I would try that, you know, where I could get it in my mouth and, I, it was, you know, and it wouldn't fit. My mouth was too small and, and I never could. And I don't remember when it was. I think I was in high school, maybe even early college. And I had a toothpick in my mouth and I just tried it and it went in. Finally, I was, I was big enough. My mouth was big enough. I got it to go into my mouth just like my daddy. And I was like, woo, I'm a man now. 
I know that's really silly. It probably means nothing to you guys, but it was a big deal in my life when I, when I could do that because I wanted to be just like my daddy. And even though I was adopted, people, a lot of people didn't know I was adopted and they would see me with my dad and they go, oh, he's just like his dad. Oh, he looks just like his dad. He acts just like his dad. And we kind of chuckle. They don't know the secret. And, and it was kind of fun, even though I was adopted. Well, here's the cool thing, y'all. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've all been adopted. You've been adopted into the family of God as children of God. That's why we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not just a church. We're a family, and we've been adopted into God's family when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's our identity we're going to talk about today. Who do you think you are? I am adopted. And with that context, notice what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, because we're adopted, be imitators of who? Of God as dear children. We are the sons and daughters of God, and we should want to be like our daddy. We should want to be like our heavenly father because he is our father, and we are his children. And he loves us, and we love him, and we should want to be like him. We should want to imitate him. And this is a very important truth as we get into Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at 20 verses today, verses 1 through 20. And from verse 2 through 20, there's a list of do's and don'ts. You know, a lot of people, when they think of Christianity, all they think about is, well, that's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. And there are some do's and some don'ts in the Bible. There's going to be six don'ts in this passage. There's going to be ten do's in this passage. There's this list. Uh, You go to the Old Testament, and it's filled with do's and don'ts. There's some 600 Old Testament laws. I mean, how can we possibly ever keep all these things? How can we possibly keep these lists of do's and don'ts? And here's the deal. God doesn't want us to see Christianity, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, like keeping a list of do's and don'ts. The key is not that we focus on a list, but we focus on getting to know our daddy. You see the difference? Getting to know our Heavenly Father, who loves us more than we can even imagine, And we love him, and we know that he only wants what's best for us. He only wants to care for us, protect us, guide us, direct us. And if our heavenly father, our daddy, who loves us more than we can imagine, if he tells us not to do something, it's for our own good. And if he tells us we should be doing something, it's for our own good. Amen? And we follow him not out of this religious duty of keeping lists and do's and don'ts, but we follow him out of relationship, a relationship as adopted children wanting to please our heavenly father and our daddy who knows best. There's no coincidence that Paul eight times in the book of Ephesians refers to God as our father, our heavenly father and us as his children. You know, when my uh, kids were little, maybe when your kids were little, maybe you had the house rules at your house. And uh, sometimes my mom used to put the house rules like on the refrigerator, you know, all these magnets and there were the house rules of do's and don'ts. But the goal of parenting is that your kids grow up to the point that, that someday they don't follow a list of do's and don'ts because they're worried about the consequences or they're going to get in trouble, but they do it because they love mom and dad. And they believe mom and dad has their best interest in mind. And they do it out of, out of love. I shared with you guys last week that Shelly and I, a couple of weeks ago, had an opportunity to go away for a few days uh, for our 21st wedding anniversary. We went out of town. And, uh, you know, everybody always dreads teenagers when they're in their teen years. There's a lot of advantages when your kids are teenagers. We left them both at home by themselves. And we went away for four days. Our son is 18. He's a senior. Our daughter is 16. And uh, we trust them. And so they took care of the home uh, while we were gone for four days. They, they were there by themselves. And um, we didn't really give them a big list of things. Uh, we just kind of trusted them, and, uh, which might have been a little crazy. But we did. And we went away. And 
We, we didn't know what the house, my, my wife is a very meticulous housekeeper. She always likes things just right and in their place. She can't stand it if there's dirty dishes, dirty clothes. And so we were a little nervous. Okay, we knew they didn't have any wild parties. The neighbors were spying on them, by the way. But we wondered what would be the condition. And we pulled up into the driveway after being gone four days. And the first thing I noticed, I had left the Christmas lights still on the house. And I had Christmas lights on the bushes and a little manger scene out in our front yard. I pulled in the driveway. The manger scene's gone. All the Christmas lights on the bushes are gone. And I'm like, who stole our Christmas lights? (laughs) What? Well, at least they took baby Jesus. Maybe they needed Jesus because they're robbers. And I really, I thought somebody stole our Christmas lights. I was like, and so, and then we go into the house And it's immaculate. I mean, there's no dishes. There's no clothes. I mean, it was immaculate. And we decided we're going to go away again next week. (laughs) And the next week. And what we realized, my daughter, Caitlin, comes out. And we're like, did you do all this? She's like, yeah. Yeah, I cleaned the house. And I'm like, who took the Christmas lights? She goes, oh, I took them down for you, Daddy. Because I love you. Because I care about you guys. She didn't do any of that because we told her to or she had to. She did it because she wanted to. That's how God wants us to follow him and serve him and love him. Not because we have to, but because we we want to, because we love him. And and anything he'd ask us to do or not do, it's for our best interest. I like the way one writer said it. Jesus isn't just looking for servants. He's looking for sons and daughters. Sons and daughters in a loving relationship. Not out of religion, but out of relationship. This was very important to this church in Ephesus because these people came out of a pagan environment where they were worshiping all these false idols and false gods and was all about trying to please their gods. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about religion. It's about relationship as adopted children of God. So with that in mind, as we jump into this chapter, there are three things that adopted children of God should walk in. Paul keeps using this word walk, how we should walk, how we should live as children of God. So let me give you these three today that Paul gives us. First of all, as adopted children of God out of love, we should walk in love. That's the first one. We should walk in love. Verse 2, Paul says, You know, we're, as children of God, we're to imitate our daddy, our father, and walk in what, church? Love. Everybody say love. Love. We're to walk in love. Why? Just as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. That's what we sang about this morning. We love him because he first loved us. He went to a cross. If you wonder how much Jesus loved you, he spread out his arms on the cross, and he said, I love you this much. To, to die for you. See, God, the Bible says God doesn't just love. The Bible says God is love. That's his persona. I mean, that's his character. That's his, his nature. And so it's only logical if our daddy is love that his children should portray love. Amen? I mean, it's only logical that his children love the way their heavenly father loves. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. By this... All the world will know that you're my disciples. Here's how the world is going to know who my kids are. He didn't say by your religion, by your denomination, by your theology. He said the the world's going to know you're my kids and my disciples if you have love one for another. Love. I think you have this in your notes. The old nature. Paul is constantly contrasting in Ephesians the old nature and the new nature in Christ. How we were before Christ and after Christ. The old nature is selfish. And it builds walls in relationships. The new nature is loving. And it builds bridges in relationships. It's about love. 
Um, I, I didn't tell you guys uh, publicly where we went for our four-day vacation, but uh, we did post a few pictures and things on Facebook, and since you guys were stalking us... Um, <laughs> like we stalk you too. Um, some of you know, it's no secret, we actually went to Vegas uh, for four days is, is where Shelly and I went. And some of you may say, well, what does a pastor do in Vegas for four days? What happens in Vegas? <laughs> we were good. We behaved. We were trying to save Sin City. But uh, while we were there, one of the things we like to do, we love to go shopping, we love to go out and eat. There's some incredible restaurants and buffets and different things. We like to go to the shows, and there's a lot of great shows, and we love the Cirque du Soleil shows. And uh, one of them that we'd never been to, um, Gary, our worship director, had been, um, and he had seen the show. He goes, you got to see the Beatles Love Show. And if you've never seen it, it's like circus on steroids. It is amazing. I mean, it's mesmerizing for an hour and a half. I mean, it blew us away. It was, it was great. And the whole thing was based upon their famous song, All We Need Is Love. You know, they had it right. That's what Paul is saying here. We need to love each other. One day, Jesus was asked, you know, of all the do's and don'ts in the Bible, all the laws, all the lists, if we could only keep one of them, we can't keep them all. If we could only keep one, what should, what's the one we should keep? And remember what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37? Jesus said to him, you shall Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. You see, if you love God and you make that your focus, loving your heavenly father and your daddy as adopted children, you're going to do things that please God because you love him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. And then he added, and he goes, I know you only asked for one, but I'm going to add one more because it's like the first one. He said, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we live in a world that says, you just need to love yourself more. Can I be biblical with you guys this morning? The problem isn't that we don't love ourselves enough. The problem is we love ourselves too much. And if we would take the same love we have for ourselves and pour it out on others, it would be a much more loving world. And Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added this, and on these two commandments, loving God and loving others, hang all the law and the prophets, all the laws. If you love God and love others, you're going to do the right things and you're not going to do things that you shouldn't do that would be unloving to God or others. You think about the Ten Commandments. You can break the Ten Commandments down this way. Five of them are about God, our relationship with God, and five of them are about our relationship with other people. If you love God, you're not going to take his name in vain. If you love God, you're not going to have other idols and gods before him. Because you love him. If you love God, you're not going to steal from other people. You're not going to murder. You're not going to commit adultery on your spouse. Why? Because you love God and you love others. If that makes sense, say yes. That's the whole context here. Love. Walking in love out of a, an adopted relationship with God as, as his children. So with that in mind, he gives us some don'ts. Here's the first of six don'ts. In verse 3 he says, But fornication, that's sexual sin, and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. He's saying because you're children of God, we don't live this way. We don't do these things because we love God and we love other people. The word fornication means sexual sin. What is sexual sin? It's any kind of sex outside of the covenant of marriage. This would be premarital sex. This would be adultery. Anything that is not inside the covenant of marriage between a man and a wife is fornication. You say, okay, it says here as Christians, uh, don't, don't fornicate. But what if she's really hot? Well, so is hell. <laughs> Just throw that out there. You know? If you love her, then marry her. If you love him, then marry him. 
If you love them, you'll, you'll wait for them. And, and it may seem out of place that he says, and, and, and adopted children, they don't fornicate and they're not unclean and they don't covet. Well, what does covet have to do with sexual sin? Well, covet is when you want something that belongs to somebody else. Think about that. If they're not your spouse, they don't belong to you. They belong to somebody else. They may end up being somebody else's spouse, or they are somebody else's spouse. And so he says, don't covet. Generally, when we think about not coveting, we think about, you know, don't covet wanting somebody else's car, somebody else's house, or somebody else's job. You know, maybe some of you guys have coveted Pastor Doug and said, man, I wish I was like Pastor Doug. I mean, get to shop in the boys' section and save money on your clothes. (laughs) Get to ride on an airplane and coach and have plenty of leg room. There's some benefits. Don't covet. Verse 4. Walk in love. That's not loving. That's not loving. Verse 4. Here's some other things that aren't loving. Neither, he says, adopted children of God, these things shouldn't be a part of our life. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting as adopted children, but rather the giving of what? Giving of thanks. Guys would call this locker room talk. You know, inappropriate talk and language that's crude and vulgar and base and explicit. Our mouths can get us in trouble, can't they? And God says the mouth of a, of a child of God, an adopted child, should talk and speak differently than that of the world. And uh, Gary, you know, last week brought a great message, and he, he covered that verse that says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth and how our mouths can get us in trouble. And, you know, isn't it interesting We should be talking about a defensive play that happened in the NFC Championship game, a guy that made a a game-saving defensive play that put the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl, but instead of talking about the amazing play, we're talking about his mouth, Richard Sherman. You guys seen this? You know what I'm talking about? And all they're talking about is how he went off on this reporter and, you know, went off on this this, uh, Michael Crabtree, I think it was, and they went off on him and, and, and making fun of him, and all this coarse stuff was coming out of his mouth and you know and and so we're talking about his mouth and what he said instead of the great play that he made that got his team into the Super Bowl even though they're going to be defeated in the Super Bowl you know just throw that in there that might have not have been loving but oh well Bible says speak the truth in love so that's what I'm doing let's move on and here's something else he says verse 5 for this you know, and he's again talking in the context of children, adopted children of God, walking in love. He says, for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. In other words, he's not part of God's family. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of what? disobedience. Now, don't get confused with verse 5 and 6. He's not talking about Christians who live this way. He's talking about people who are unbelievers. He calls them idolaters. He doesn't just say they commit idolatry. He says they are idolaters. He doesn't just say they commit fornication. They are fornicators. He calls them sons of disobedience. That's their identity. He's saying this is how the lost, unsaved world live that are not sons of God. And he says, you guys, that's not your identity anymore. But sometimes we can slip back into that stuff. We we may not always be fornicators, but we can fornicate. We may not always covet, but we can sometimes covet. And he's saying, that's not for children of God. That's not loving. That's what the sons of disobedience do. And then he clears it up in verse 7. He says, therefore... 
That's how the lost world lives. Do not be, what? Partakers with them. Notice he doesn't say don't associate with them. If, if, if Paul was saying don't associate with the lost world, we'd have to find another planet to live on. We live around lost people. Jesus, let me remind you, was a friend to sinners. He ate with sinners, but he never sinned. He never partook of their sin. There's a difference between being around those people in a loving relationship so you can reach them for Christ and partaking in the things they're doing. If you agree, say yes. Are you with me? And he says, don't be partakers. Don't do those things because now you're to walk in love. Loving God, loving other people, you live differently. Get it this way in your notes. A Christian is not sinless, but he should sin less. That's a good way of thinking of it. A Christian is not sinless, but he should sin less. If we love God and others, we won't want to be involved in these practices. We will walk in love toward God and toward other people. So as adopted children, first of all, we walk in love. Second, as adopted children of God, we not only walk in love, we should walk in light. We should walk in light. Look look at what Paul says in verse 8. For you were once, what? Darkness. Notice he doesn't say you were once in darkness. He says, you were darkness. That was our identity when we were without Christ. We were darkness. We were separated from God. We were sons of disobedience. We didn't just sin. We were sinners. He says, you were once in the past, your identity was darkness. But now you are what, church? Light. You're light. New identity. Old identity, darkness. New identity, light, in the Lord. So because we are now light and we're not darkness, what should we do? Walk as children of light. There it is again. Walking as adopted children of light. When Jesus was here in John 9, 5, he said this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But before he left, he told his children, his followers, when I leave, the light of the world is leaving, but now you're going to be the light of the world. I'm passing my light onto you. Paul said in, in Philippians 2, 15, As children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, that's a pretty good description of our society, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are to now shine as lights in the dark world that we live in. So what does it mean to walk in the light as adopted children of light? What does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to be the light of the world? Let me give you three practical things that as adopted children of God, we're, how we're to walk in the light and be light to the world. Number one, it means we don't try to hide things. As children of light, we don't try to hide things. Verse 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit is in all goodness. Righteousness means being right with God. And what's the next word? Truth. You know what the opposite of truth is? A lie. Dishonesty. Secrets. Trying to hide things. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And what is acceptable to the Lord is that as adopted children of God, that we are now light and we're to walk in the light and we don't try to cover up and hide things. That we get them out in the open so that we can get help. We can be, have healing. We can have encouragement to grow in our relationship with God. James says this very clearly. And this might surprise some of you. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other, talking about other believers. Confess your sins to each other. Why? So we can judge each other, right? So we can condemn each other, so we can gossip about everybody's dirty laundry. No. 
As Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God, we are to confess our sins to each other so we can pray for each other so that we can be healed, so we can be healed of the struggles that we have in our life as Christians, those things, those sins that still easily beset us. The world tries to do things in darkness. They try to hide things. They try to cover things up. God says, as children of light, we don't do that. We don't try to hide things. We're honest with ourselves, with each other, with God. We bring these things into the light. We confess them so we can have people that love us and care about us, pray for us, and help us to find healing from those, those things that might be hurts or habits or hang-ups in our life. This is one of the beauties of small group here at Orchard Church, where you can get to know other Christians who love you, who are not there to judge you or condemn you, but care about you, and you can share your struggles and pray for each other because we all have them. Amen? We all have those things we struggle with, and so we can help each other. That's what the beauty of discipleship, one-on-one. There are things my disciples have shared with me that they haven't shared with anybody else that are struggles in their life, but they know I love them, I care about them, I'm praying for them, I'm not judging them, I'm not condemning them, I'm there to help them. And we've seen God do some great things through that. We have an incredible program here at Orchard Church that was started a little over a year ago called Celebrate Recovery. And we have seen God bring incredible healing to people's lives through that ministry. But here's what it takes. You've got to be willing to submit to 16 weeks to being under the teaching of God's word and people that love you, care for you, will help hold you accountable. And you've got to be willing to expose some things so people can help you and pray for you. And I love going to the graduations because you hear people get up and say, this is how I came in, this is where I am now. This is what God is miraculously doing in my life because I didn't try to hide it. I didn't try to keep it a secret any longer. I brought it out into the light and I got help and I found healing. Isn't that awesome, church? And there may be some of you, I'm sure there are some of you sitting in this auditorium right now. Our next Celebrate Recovery uh, class starts the Monday after the Super Bowl, February 3rd, 630. Um, There's information in our small group catalog. It starts at our ministry center Some of you have things in your life, hurts, habits, hang-ups that you've been dealing with for years. Maybe you've been trying to keep them a secret and you've been trying to hide them. And like Gary said this morning, it's just a weight on your life. Why don't you just come to that? Bring those things in the light and let people love on you, care for you, not judge you, condemn you. It's a safe environment. And let's see God heal some more lives. Amen? Amen. So we, as children of light, we don't try to hide things. Number two, we avoid dark activities. We avoid some of the activities of the world. Verse 11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And notice it doesn't say the unfruitful people. It says don't do, again, partake in the works of what they're doing. Don't have fellowship with the works of darkness, but rather expose them. Bring them into the light, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. God, God's word sheds light on what is wrong and, and what is, is dark and activities that we should avoid. And I'm not talking about our preferences. I'm talking about what the Bible says, the clear things the Bible says to do or not do. And here's the beauty of it. When we accept Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, he places his Holy Spirit inside of us. And I learned a long time ago Probably the hard way. When I first started preaching over 20, almost 25 years ago in in ministry, I I used to try to play the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And I'd try to find all these things that I could hit that maybe they were dealing with. 
And then it ended up people were doing things not for the Holy Spirit, but they were doing them for me. And that's not genuine and that's not real. And what I realized is this, that every believer in Jesus Christ, every adopted child of God has the Holy Spirit of God inside of them and he will do a much better job convicting you than I will. Because he's everywhere and he sees everything. And you know what I'm talking about, children of God. You ever been somewhere and the Holy Spirit started knocking on your heart and your mind and said, this is not a good place to be. This is not a good activity to be involved in. This is not a good idea. And we have to respond to that as children of light and say, you know what? There's some activities that I need to avoid as the Holy Spirit guides and directs my life. So when we walk in light, we don't hide things. We avoid dark activities. And here's a positive one. Because we're children of light, we share the light with people who are not in the light. And, and Paul is talking here to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to adopted children of God. He's talking to Christians. But then he all of a sudden throws in this plea for salvation. Thinking, well, maybe there's some unbelievers that will read this. And he says, therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He's quoting the Old Testament uh, verse in Isaiah chapter 26. And, he, and he's saying here, awake you who sleep. Who are those who are asleep in Christ? There are those uh, that are alive. Those are those that don't know Christ. He says, arise from the dead. He already established in Ephesians chapter 2, before Christ, we were not alive spiritually. We were what, church? We were dead, and we were not in the light. We were in darkness. He says, you know, awake from sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you what? He'll give you light. And he's saying those who may not be believers in Jesus Christ, who are not children of God, step into the light, accept Jesus. And it's our responsibility for those of us who have found the light of Jesus, who are adopted children of God, to not keep that light to ourselves, but to share it with those who are in the darkness, the Bible describes unbelievers as dead. They're, they're in darkness. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Some of you remember back before you were a Christian. That described you. And we have a responsibility to help them find the light, to help them find Jesus. Amen, church? I'm passionate about that. You, you ever been in a dark place and you couldn't find your way out and somebody came in and kind of helped guide you? You know, in the fall, we always have like these corn mazes around here. And uh, when I was a student director for many years, we'd take our kids to the corn maze. I, I never did the corn maze. Uh, you know why I didn't do the corn maze? I saw that 80s movie, Children of the Corn. <laughs> yep, not going into the corn maze. Nope, not sure who's going to be in there. But, but I remember like kids would, would find their way out into the light and, you know, it's outside in the dark. And then kids that were stuck, we'd send them back in and go help them find their way out. We got to go home, you know, and, and they would help them find. And we have a responsibility spiritually to help people in our sphere of influence, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors that we love who don't have the light of Jesus to help them find that. Amen. And, and we are always as a church, as a leadership team, looking for ways that we can help you guys Share the light of the gospel. Outreach events. You know, this is why Christmas Eve, you know, we had a very clear presentation of the gospel. And over 50 people found the light of Jesus on Christmas Eve because of the outreach of that night. Um, Easter is always a big day where unchurched, unsaved people come. And we'll have, you know, another 40 or 50 people come to know Christ. Friend day, we had several people accept Christ. We're always looking for opportunities where we can help you guys share the light of Jesus with those people that don't know Jesus or maybe just don't have a good church home to go to. So, 
looking for those opportunities, I, I, I want to share something with you guys. I, I, this may surprise some of you, but uh, I hear there's a pretty big game that's going to happen next Sunday. Pretty big game. And so we made a decision as a leadership team. We're going to set aside Ephesians next Sunday. We're going to have our regular three services, but we're going to use it as an opportunity to share the light of Jesus in a creative way. And we're going to celebrate Super Bowl Sunday here at Orchard Church. We're going to have a testimony from Tony Dungy, which was Peyton Manning's former coach when he played for the uh, Indianapolis Colts, an amazing man of faith, a great Christian testimony. I'm going to share a very clear presentation of the gospel after that. We are telling you guys, we're encouraging you guys, go nuts, wear all your Broncos gear, paint your faces. We're all going to be in our Broncos stuff up here. Go, we're going to have a fun day. We've got some surprises for you. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be giving away in each of the three services a Peyton Manning Nike jersey in all three services. Now, this is not that, you know, cheapy you get at the flea market. This is, we got these, uh, you know, at Dick's Sporting Goods, $100 Nike jersey. We have one in each service. You got to be wearing some kind of Broncos gear, and we're going to give you a ticket when you come in the door, not to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Just get that on tape. A ticket, and then we're going to have a drawing in each service for a Peyton Manning jersey. Maybe one of your friends or somebody uh, will, will win that, and we're going to give that out, but it's an opportunity for you guys to invite maybe some of your family members, friends, neighbors, unchurched people that would normally not ever come to church and go, listen, we're gonna, it's all going to be a Broncos day. It's going to be fun. It's gonna, you can win a Peyton Manning jersey. And if just one person comes because of that and they accept Christ, it was worth the day. Amen? So let's take advantage of that next Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday. We're going to have a, a good time with that. It's an opportunity to share the light of Jesus. So as adopted children of God, we get to help others become part of the family out of love for them. So as adopted children of God, we walk in love. We're to walk in light. And then finally, as adopted children of God, we're to walk in wisdom. We're to walk in wisdom. Look at verse 15. Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly. That means paying attention to the details of your life, not as fools, but as wise. The opposite of foolishness is wisdom, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This phrase, redeeming the time, means redeeming the time of your life that God has given you. In the original language, it has that connotation. It's, it's you, God has only given you so much time, and we are to see our lives like stewards, and we spend wisely our money, our time, our days as adopted children of God. We live in a world that's full of folly. You know, there's some things that in this world, you can't go to the Bible and say, well, that's sin, but you look at it and you go, it may not be sin, but it's stupid. It's dumb. It, it's, it's, not, it's not wise. You see, it's foolish just to drift through life aimlessly. God wants his children to have a plan and a purpose, and he wants to guide that. You, you see, a wise man marks his course. He sets his sail, and he guides his rudder and reaches the destination that God has for him. That's, that's wisdom. Paul goes on to say in verse 17, because we're to be wise as children of God walk in wisdom, therefore not, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do we understand what the will of the Lord is? Well, most answers to all of our questions are right here in this book. Amen? They're right here. If you'll just read it, there's all kinds of wisdom. There's a whole book of wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's one for each day of the month. You can read through that. Another thing you can do is ask God for wisdom. Pray. You know, a, a verse that I claim all the time as a, as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, you know, as we make decisions for Orchard Church, you're going to hear about some of those decisions tonight. We desperately need 
wisdom from our Heavenly Father. And the good news is, He's got all the wisdom we could ask for. And He wants to give it to us. James 1.5 says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He'll give it to you. That is a great verse. And He will not rebuke you for asking. You all ever need wisdom? You ever have to make decisions? And you say, boy, I could use the wisdom of God right now. Ask God. Look in His Word. He'll give it to you. So he talks about being wise. And then he talks about some things that are unwise. He says in verse 18, here's what's unwise. And do not be drunk with wine. What about whiskey? What about beer? That's okay. Just not wine. No. Just kidding. Just kidding. That's how some like to read this. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The, the context here is what is controlling you? What is leading you? What is guiding you? This word dissipation means it'll ruin your life. Paul says don't be controlled by wine, some foreign substance that can control your life, can, can ruin your life. He says that's, that's not wise. Now let me say a couple things about this verse that's been misinterpreted and misquoted. The Bible does not condemn drinking. It does condemn drunkenness. And there's a difference. Uh, the, the Bible says drunkenness is sin. It doesn't say drinking is sin. I remind you that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. I remind you that Paul said a little wine is good for the stomach. There's some medicinal help to that. And so Paul's not saying here thou shalt not drink. He's saying don't be drunk. The Bible clearly says that drunkenness is a sin. If you're not 21 and you're drinking, that's a sin because that's breaking the law, which the Bible says is a sin. Amen, parents? Come on, parents, I helped you out there. Amen, parents? Yeah. The Bible also, Paul says, don't do anything that causes your brother to stumble. If you know that, that somebody is there that has a drinking problem, they're an alcoholic, it's not wise to be drinking around them. So he's not condemning drinking, he's condemning drunkenness and that which would control us. Because God wants his children not to be controlled by drunkenness or foreign substances. He wants us to be controlled by the Spirit of God. I think this verse applies to alcohol of any kind that would cause us to be drunk. I, I think it applies to illegal drugs. I believe it applies to prescription drugs that are used um, improperly. And I better say this one. We live in Colorado. I think it applies to marijuana. Weed, pot, cannabis, Mary Jane, wacky tobacco. Some of y'all are like, how does Pastor Doug know all those? I went to college, but I didn't inhale. Um, <laughs> some of y'all will get that if you're from the 80s. And there's, I saw this big debate recently, you know, from some people in our church. Okay, so marijuana is now legal, so then does that mean it's okay? And I would just say, the question that we need to be asking is this, is it wise? You know, I don't know how much you have to smoke to be controlled by it. You know, I, I, I don't know. But I would say this, is it wise? We have to ask ourselves, that's a fair question, amen? Is it wise? Because God wants us to be controlled by the Spirit. So if you're struggling, here's what Paul's saying. If you're struggling with problems, don't turn to the bong or the bottle. Turn to the Holy Spirit. That's Doug's interpretation right there. That's, that's what I'm going with right there, okay? And then here's what happens, and, and we'll, we'll wrap it up. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit... Instead of some other substance that's controlling you, here's the great result, verse 19. You begin to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Children of God naturally worship their heavenly father. When we're filled with the spirit, we want to passionately worship our daddy and everything he's done. Hey, have you ever noticed when you go to places where people are filled with alcohol and people are drunk on alcohol, it's loud and people are all happy and they're excited and there's music, maybe there's a band. You ever notice when people drink a lot, they sing a lot? Usually it's bad karaoke. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's a sin. Bad karaoke, that's a sin. And they're all excited. And what God is saying, that's what's supposed to happen in church when people are filled not with alcohol but with the Holy Spirit. That people ought to walk in here and be like, wow, I don't know what these people have, but I want in on it. And there are places of worship all around us, whether we realize it or not, and it's not just churches. There are stadiums that are places of worship. There was last week here in Denver. We were all, I'm with you, we were all pretty pumped. We were pretty excited. You know, there's a picture of one of the Broncos players. Man, it looks like he's worshiping. He's excited. We were all excited. There's concerts. You know what this other picture is? That is uh, last Wednesday here in Denver, the Justin Timberlake concert. Y'all thought that was a Christian concert. No, it, they're, they're, they're worshiping. You know, they're, they're into this. They're, they're all excited. Worshiping, worship is happening everywhere. Shouldn't it be the most obvious in church where the children of God that are adopted in the family are loving their daddy? Isn't that where it should be the most obvious? Isn't that where it's okay to get excited about your team? It's okay to get excited at a concert, but we better be excited here too because we get to worship our heavenly father, our daddy. Now, here's the deal. I'm excited about the Super Bowl. I'm I'm pumped. I've been a Peyton Manning fan since he came into the league. We were living in Indiana when he came into the league, and and I'm just as excited about the Broncos as you guys are. Um, I believe believe they're going to win, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, Peyton Manning didn't die for me. Peyton Manning didn't set me free from my sin. Uh, Peyton Manning doesn't know me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't protect me. He doesn't provide for me. He hasn't forgiven me. He hasn't cleansed me. He hasn't redeemed me. He hasn't saved me. He hasn't shed his blood for me. He hasn't made any sacrifices for me. And he certainly hasn't adopted me into his family. I wish he would. (laughs) But my daddy has. My heavenly father has. And he is deserving of our praise. And he is deserving of our worship. We don't know if the Broncos are going to win or not. I believe they are. I believe they're going to be victorious. But here's what I do know. As children of God adopting his family, I've read the end of this book. We've already won. We've already won. We're already victorious. We're already on the winning team. Would you bow your heads with me this morning, with your heads bowed for just a moment. As adopted children of God, let me talk to the adopted children of God for just a moment. Those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, how's your walk? How is your walk? Are you imitating your daddy? Are you walking like a child of God? Are you walking in love? Are you walking in light and wisdom? I mean, do people look at your life and see Jesus? Do they see your daddy? Do they see your heavenly father? That's the goal. That's the challenge. And if we're all honest, there's times that our walk is not becoming of a child of God. But we can make a decision today to say, you know what, I want to make sure, I know I'm not sinless, but I do want to sin less. I want to walk in love and light and wisdom. I want people to see Jesus in me. And if that's your prayer, and God has spoken to you in that way, 
children of God. Would you slip up your hand for prayer all across the auditorium right now? If God's spoken to you in some way, just lift it up so I can pray for you and put it down. Thank you, thank you. Hands are in every section. Mine is up with you. Lord, I pray that we would walk as children of God, that we would walk in light and love and wisdom and that we would be pleasing to you and that others would see that we are wanting to be like you. We want to be like our daddy. We want to be like our father who loves us. And God, you're not trying to be a killjoy. You're not trying to take away fun from our life. You're trying to love us and protect us. And anything you ask us to do or not do is for our own good. And we love you and we trust you. And Lord, forgive us in the times we've not walked as a child of God and help us to walk that way in the future. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never been adopted into his family, you can be today, right now where you sit. You can invite Jesus into your life right now. And he will adopt you. He loves you. He went to the cross to die for you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. And it's through this prayer, not not the words of the prayer, not, not the prayer, but the faith and belief behind it that you can ask to be adopted into God's family today. And if you're ready to do that, let me lead you in a prayer that you can pray from your heart to God's right now where you sit. And it goes like this. Pray it with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross for me to forgive me of my sins, to adopt me into your family. Jesus, I want to be your child. I want to be forgiven. I want to experience your love. And by faith today, I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to be your child. May I walk now as a child who belongs to you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it in your heart, I want to pray for you and your new walk with Jesus as his child. Would you just slip up your hand and say, yes, Pastor Doug, I prayed that prayer. God bless you, sir. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Thank you. God bless you, sir. And you, young man, thank you. Several hands. Anyone else? Just slip it up so I can see it. Put it down. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, inviting Jesus into my life. I want to be his child. I want him to be my father. God bless you, young lady. I see you. Thank you. Up on the top. Anyone else? Yes. I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you. We rejoice. We celebrate with the angels in heaven. And we welcome the new sons and daughters into the family of God this morning. We thank you for their decision. We pray that they would grow in your love and they would walk as children of love and light and wisdom in the days ahead. And that we as a church would help them in any way we can as we welcome them into the family of God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you help me welcome the new brothers and sisters in Christ in the family? Amen.